Good morning, and welcome to Calvary Chapel. Before we get started, I figured we would pray. We, we heard from Heather this morning about how she's going to be going on her missions trip, and I figured we would open up in prayer now. It's been a busy morning with the children's presentation and everything, so we're just going to take a moment to pray, and then we'll get right into the Word. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you, and, and Lord, we are actually very inspired by Heather's heart and encouraged to know that she's made herself available to be used by you in whatever way you've called her, having been on many trips and not for a while, Lord, with the kids, but now she's asking for us to keep her in prayer as she steps out by faith to do what you've called her to do and to share in the area that you've called her to go. We pray that you would be with her and May your blessing be upon her, your anointing upon her and the team. May you meet all of their needs, get all of their baggage and luggage there without any incident or problem. Keep them all safe and healthy. And Lord God, be with Carl and the kids as, as, as Heather's away. And, and may she stay on our hearts. May the team stay on our hearts this whole week, as, as over the next week when she's away. And, and may we just know in our hearts that if you've called her, then you will be with her, protect her, keep her and move and work in and through her life to your glory. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue in our series in the book of Acts. You can turn to the book of Acts in chapter 19, verse 1. And in 19.1, we had been talking about, in I guess it was about two weeks ago, because we had a Christmas message last week, we were talking about how uh, the Lord was using Apollos and how Apollos was being used by the Lord and God was working through many others other than Paul. But now we go back to Paul in the middle of his third missionary journey and we find out that he comes back to the area of Ephesus where he had last been on his second missionary journey, although only for a short period of time. And we read there in verse 1, and we're just going to read the first part of verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth, that's in southern Greece, Paul took the road through the interior, that is the interior of Asia Minor or Turkey, and arrived at Ephesus. Now before we go any further, I just want to give you a little bit of an update where we are. Paul had traveled west from the area known as Phrygia. Uh, We looked at this again two weeks ago. And he traveled through proconsular Asia to the city of Ephesus. Now, as a reminder, Paul had traveled to Ephesus on his second missionary journey. This was in about 50 to 52 AD. Paul had addressed the Jews in the synagogue at Ephesus. He had spoken with them briefly. He was extremely well received by the Jews in the synagogue in Ephesus, which wasn't always the case for Paul. They wanted him to stay. (laughs) Paul had certainly learned what it was like to be asked to leave. Paul had also been in situations where he was forced out and chased out and even attacked and his life threatened. But this time, though he had just a short period of time in the city, the people wanted him to stay. He declined because he would be leaving to head back to Jerusalem and ultimately back to his home church in Antioch in Syria. Now, he did promise them to return to Ephesus if it was the Lord's will for him to do so. And we talked about this two, two weeks ago. If it's God's will for you to do something, you do it. If it's not, you don't. 
And one of the things we're going to see in today's message, the, the real theme as we get into this is that the Spirit has to be the one working in and through your life. And I feel so very strongly about this message. Because people have asked me, I, I meet with pastors and leaders and, and other men who are, who are in ministry, and many times we'll have conversations about what the, the, the most dangerous thing is in ministry, or perhaps the most danger to ministry, or the most problematic situation you might encounter in ministry, whether planting churches, doing missions work, or outreach. And without hesitation, I can tell you, after doing this for like 35 years, the most dangerous thing that can happen in ministry is spiritless Christianity. Hands down. The most dangerous thing is to venture out to try to do a work of quote-unquote God in your own strength. There is no doubt in my mind that this approach to ministry has done more damage to more people than anything else. And we see it all over our area. Well-intentioned, well-funded, well-publicized ministry that, how can I say this nicely? Probably can't say it nicely, so I'll just say it. That the Spirit isn't leading. How do you know the Spirit is leading? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what it means to act and move in God's will, and to know that it's the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, who is leading, guiding, inspiring, motivating, working powerfully in and through the ministry. So this is what Paul knew. He knew it wasn't God's will for him to be in Ephesus a year earlier, a year or two earlier. But now, after having promised them that he would return if it was God's will, after having left Priscilla and Aquila in that city for about a year, he returns because it is God's will. And he arrived in Ephesus in proconsular Asia, the area of what we call today Western Turkey, shortly after Apollos was there and had left to go to Corinth. Now, isn't that neat how God orchestrates having his ministers in different places at different times? Apollos was there while Paul was getting some rest. He was, now, they didn't coordinate that. That was the Holy Spirit. See, so many times I think we think we have to be the Holy Spirit. We put together our schedules and our plans and our visions and our mission statements, and we think, well, this is how we want God to work. Let me just tell you, you never tell God how he's going to work. One of my favorite books I highly recommend, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby and Claude V. King. I've read it a number of times. It transformed my perspective on ministry. One of the things Henry Blackaby said, and, and I had the opportunity a number of years ago to actually hear him speak, and the thing that really came out to me more than anything else is when you're looking to do God's work, look to where God is working and get with his program. It's so very different than what we are often thinking we should do when we want to serve God, which is, well, I'm going to do a work for God, and this is how God is going to work for me. But that's not it at all. So I highly recommend that book. But I do know this, that God was working through Apollos. God was working through Paul. It was the Holy Spirit who was doing the work, but he worked through different men and women at different times. So here's what happens. Paul gets there shortly after Apollos leaves. And now the opportunity is before him. And 
we, we, we know that in this area of proconsular Asia, which I mentioned, and, and for some of you who weren't here, and, and just as a reminder, because it was two weeks ago, this area was the area of, 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 of what we call Turkey, Western Turkey today, but was called Asia Minor at the time. But it was this area that we're very familiar with in the early church. It included the area of Phrygia, the cities of Laodicea, which we're familiar with, Heropolis and Colossae. It included the cities, in addition to Laodicea, the other six cities of the book of Revelation that Jesus shared with John, and John in turn shared with them. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia. So these are churches and cities in those churches that some of them haven't been planted yet, but this is the area that God was working and continued to work for the next 50 years, 50, 60 years, and well into the future. So Ephesus is a, is a word in, in Greek. It means desirable. And it was a maritime city of Asia Minor and the capital of this area known as Proconsular Asia, a very important city. And I, and I shared with you guys where it was. It was situated on the Icarian Sea between Smyrna and Miletus, areas, again, that come up in our Bibles. Uh, but here's the thing. It was colonized principally by Greeks from Athens. Of course, we're familiar with Athens, though there were many Jews that lived there. And in the time of the Romans, it bore the title of the first and greatest metropolis of Asia. We're going to be talking about this city and ministry in this city for a couple of weeks, certainly today and into the next couple of weeks. So we should be familiar with what was happening there. One of the things that we know is that it was distinguished for the temple and chief shrine of Artemis, known by the Romans as Diana. Now, that'll come up again uh, as we get into this section. So it's important to mention this, not necessarily at the time of Paul, because this, this actually this, this temple of Artemis was a grand architectural accomplishment, but it had burned down and been rebuilt. So, so we do know, though, that when it was first built, it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it was 425 feet long, contained 125 columns, and it was built of the purest marble. So it was quite an accomplishment, and it was in the city of Ephesus. In fact, it took 220 years to build this temple. Whenever I read numbers like that, I think to myself, I, I remember, you know, when we, we celebrated the bicentennial back in the 70s, you know, and it makes you realize our nation is fairly young but it took 220 years just to build a temple like this. Now think about, you know, America, you know, a little bit more than that. But, but think about that. Uh, God, working through his people, this nation, the greatest nation in the world, I believe, the greatest nation the world has ever seen, built over a period of time that corresponds to a time it took to build a pagan temple. So imagine how much time was put into that. It just puts things in perspective. But again, it burned down in about 356 B.C. It was rebuilt. But Artemis was this god, this, this goddess, who was represented by a multi-breasted black image. She was the goddess of fertility. And as the legend goes, the temple was built on the site where the image allegedly fell from heaven, like a meteorite. And it probably was, but who knows? All I know is that they built a temple around this, and they worshipped this goddess of fertility in this huge, immense, architecturally beautiful site. So this is, the, this is the place that Paul goes to minister as the Lord leads. I mentioned this as well a couple of weeks ago. It was also known for its open sky theater, the largest in the world, seating 50,000 people. 
If you can imagine a, an open amphitheater that seated 50,000 people. Paul later references theater uh, when he was writing to the Corinthians. So this was quite a city. And while Paul was there, something happened in this metropolis, in this area that might even equate to, in our area, like New York City, in this area, in this city, in this part of the world, Paul encounters a number of disciples, and this really teaches us the difference between Christianity that is, or a relationship with God is probably a better way of saying it, that is both inspired and led by the Spirit versus trying to have a relationship with God in your own strength, according to your own will, or perhaps just according to some religion of sorts. Now, we've seen that. I grew up in a church that had all the right answers. Seriously. I mean, I, I, I find it hard when I think of the, the doctrine that I was taught in Sunday school as a child. I find it hard to find anything wrong with the things I was taught. In fact, I'm grateful that my family attended a church where we, we got the truth. And I'm not certainly judging any one individual, but I know for me personally, it was a very spiritless experience. Yet we had the word, we had beautiful hymns, wonderful fellowship, nice people, loved going there. But there was something missing that I didn't find until I started attending a church that not only taught the word of God, but looked for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to understand the Word of God. So first of all, disclaimer, I am not criticizing any church. Because it doesn't matter what church you go to. You can come to this church and have a spiritless relationship with God. It's not about a church. It's about your heart. So let's see what happened. I'm going to read this section, then we'll spend a little time, and we'll take it from there. It says there, that is in Ephesus... Paul found some disciples. That's a good thing. Disciples. He doesn't say they were unbelievers. He says they were disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, or came upon them, and they spoke in tongues, that is in other languages, and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. Now, I'm so glad that Luke gives us the number of those individuals. Because at first glance, you might think, well, wow, all these people were without the Spirit. No, 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 there was just a group of 12. It probably wasn't even a large group by comparison to the number of people that were filled with the Spirit. But there are some things we have to think about as we consider this scripture. Why did Paul question the presence of the Holy Spirit in these men's lives? Is that something you just kind of do? You walk up to someone in church and say, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Is that like your opener? What would cause you to even ask that question? It could be considered almost insulting if you weren't led of the Spirit to ask the question. But there was something. And because I wasn't there, I don't know. But I can suppose that it may have been a number of things. Any one of them or all of them. 
And what I've considered is I've realized Paul asked these men if they had received the Holy Spirit when they believed. There must have been a reason why he asked the question. One of the things I thought about is there may have been a lack of powerful change in their lives. A lack of powerful change. One of the ways you'll know that someone's baptized with the Holy Spirit, not just a Christian, not just a disciple. Remember, these were disciples. Not just a follower of Jesus, not just a believer in the truth of the gospel, but someone filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. One of the ways you will know they're not is that there's no change in their lives because the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, is the one that empowers us to change. So if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, It may be evident in that there is very little or no change in your life since you came to Christ. Now, people can see that. Have you ever seen it? So many times I've been having a conversation with somebody and, you know, I have the conversation. They tell me they're a Christian. They tell me they go to church. They may even attend here. And then all of a sudden in the conversation, certain things appear like foul language, off-color comments. And listen, we're all capable of that. But, but what we do know is there should be certain things, right? Lifestyle, what we consider right or wrong, acceptance of the culture and the norms of the culture. There's certain things, as you're having the conversation, you think to yourself, well, I know they believe the truth, but what is it about them that they don't seem to see that these things need to change in their lives? I mean, I came to Christ at a time when I was doing all sorts of things I shouldn't have been doing. And over time, the Lord, through the power of the teaching of his word, showed me the things that needed to change. Some things were very easy to change. Some things happened very quickly. For me, one of the things, foul language kind of, and I had a real, I had a potty mouth. And, and one of the things I know is that God gave me the ability to sort of change the way I, I, I speak because that just needed to change. Let's face it. And, and, you know, other activities, other things I was involved in may have changed more slowly, but there was change in my life, especially in those first few months, because I had received and experienced not only Christ, but the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. So change is one of the things we should see. And if you don't see it, it might be worth asking the question, have you received the Holy Spirit? Another thing, a lack of spiritual understanding in your hearts. A lack of spiritual understanding in your hearts. If you're reading the Word and you're sitting in Bible study and you have a hard time comprehending or understanding the things that God is speaking through the pastor or the Bible study and maybe even a study on the radio or something you're reading in a book, it could be that you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Because... The carnal man cannot understand the things of the Spirit, neither can he know them. You have to be a spiritual person anointed with the Holy Spirit to even begin to understand the truth of Scripture. Scripture tells us that. And I could share all the Scriptures, but you get the point. Does that mean you you can't understand what the Word says? No, you might understand very well what the Word says, but what you might not understand is how to apply it and how it relates to you. Conversely, if when you read your word and you're in Bible study or you're in church service or listening to a message or reading a book, you sense God is taking his word and applying it to your heart and you're convicted, you know that word convicted? Not condemned, convicted. You're like, wow, 
I needed to hear that. If you've ever found yourself saying that or you're sitting in a service and you feel like the Lord is speaking to you in that way, as a Christian, you very well may be and probably are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because without that ability to understand, to hear and understand the word, you you really can't change. And so that's one of the things Paul may have seen. I don't know, but perhaps. Another thing, the fruit of the Spirit. Have we heard of this? The fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The Scripture talks about the fruit of the Spirit in many different ways, but essentially it's love. It's described further on as joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But but love, love. It may have been a lack of love. It may have been a lack of the things that are described by Paul in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, one of the things that, that strikes me, I will oftentimes in the media, unfortunately the media will focus on these things, we'll see some Christian, allegedly Christian group holding up signs that are very unloving. And and I'm going to say something, because I think most of you know where I stand politically as a conservative. I think most of you understand that. I think most of you probably also appreciate how I feel about the current administration. I don't think I've been bashful. But can I just say something? Wearing a shirt that implies something, well, we, we, we've heard this phrase, and we chuckle at it, but wearing a shirt that basically tells the current president to go, can I leave it at that, might not be loving. In fact, it might be a little vulgar. Oh, I know, we all thought about it. I got the emails with the welcome mat that says... I'm not going to say it, but you know what I'm talking about, right? I, I, don't want to, I don't want to cause problems. And it's not appropriate. Because we know, you know, there are Italian words that I used to think were curse words. And then I found out they weren't curse words at all. They were just words that were supposed to sound like curse words. And I'm not going to even use any examples. Because I'll probably slip and it'll be the most embarrassing moment in my life. But it's not about the actual word or phrase. It's kind of about the sentiment, right? So I'm just going to challenge you to think about some of these things and maybe make sure that you're loving and not wearing things that are unloving or saying things that are unloving. By the way, if you just got convicted, me too. Good news, we have the Holy Spirit. So uh, the fruit of the Spirit in your life, the love of God. Are you a loving person? You, you feel and sense and experience God's love in and through your life? Well, that can only happen when you're anointed by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about the differences between being filled with the Spirit and the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Because no one calls him Lord, that is Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. You only call him Lord by the Holy Spirit. So you really can't be saved unless the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. But it is possible, as we see here, to be a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit, but not anointed in power by the Holy Spirit. So we're making a distinction today. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Okay, so that's one of the things. The final thing I would say that he may have seen is a lack of the spiritual gifts. Because it's not just the fruit of the Spirit, they're the gifts of the Spirit, talked about in four places in Scripture, but pretty much throughout. This idea of being anointed to teach, or to prophesy, or to speak in tongues, or to heal, or to do anything supernatural or powerful in the way of ministry, requires the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So if you're exercising the gifts of the Spirit, well then you know that you're filled with the Spirit. 
doesn't mean you can't be continually filled with the Spirit and anointed with the Spirit. But here's the truth. When you don't see a spiritual gift being exercised in and through your life, it might be worth asking the question as to why. So I don't know if it was all four of these things I've mentioned, the, the lack of change, a lack of spiritual understanding, a lack of the fruit of the Spirit, a lack of the, the, the spiritual gifts. I don't know. It may have been something else. But whatever it was, Paul was compelled to ask the question because there was something missing. And that something is a someone, and his name is the Holy Spirit, or we call him the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, what do we know about these men? They, they had not been taught about the Holy Spirit. When they're asked, they're like, we don't even, what's, who, who's the Holy Spirit? What's that? They don't have any clue. It's not because they're bad people. They're just ignorant because no one has taught them this. And that happens so often in church. You know, I have met people that have attended churches like the church I grew up in who love God, and dare I say more than I do. I mean, they're devoted to God in wonderful ways. And I'm inspired by their devotion. But if you ask them about these things, they might answer, what, who, gifts, fruit? What are you talking about? Simply because they don't know. They haven't been taught. Their church or their group of people they gather with just don't teach them these truths. That's what Paul encountered when he came to Ephesus, but only 12 guys. Just these 12 disciples were told about. Again, I don't think this was widespread. Now, how did this happen? How do you end up with 12 people, 12 disciples who have never heard of the Holy Spirit in the city of Ephesus? Well, it was a big city, and the church was relatively young there at this point. Remember that Paul had stopped in, left Priscilla and Aquila, left for a year. Apollos was there. Ah, there's the answer. Because what we learned two weeks ago is that Apollos didn't really know about those things. You see, when Apollos came from Alexandria to Egypt, he came to Ephesus, he met Priscilla and Aquila, and it says that they had to teach him the word of God more adequately. He didn't know. Are you surprised? Christianity was so young at this point. All of the doctrine of the church had not been put in, in writing yet. People didn't know a lot. A lot of people didn't know a lot of things. The Bible, the New Testament, hadn't even been written. The letters, some of Paul's letters were being written, but... Most of it was not even in print yet or, or, or written down. So can you blame Apollos? He just didn't know. So what happened? Priscilla and Aquila, it says, taught him more adequately, and he began to understand things that he didn't understand. Got real excited and said, I want to go to Corinth. He wanted to go on a missions trip. That, that's how he responded to these things. Now, does that show you something? I'm sure Apollos was an incredibly gifted speaker, but then he gets... I'm assuming, <laughs> anointed by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And what happens? The Spirit leads him. And not in Ephesus, but to Corinth, where Paul was not. And Paul comes to Ephesus. Isn't that wonderful? God can orchestrate all of the things within the church, and he doesn't need you to let him know it's okay. These men had been taught by Apollos, I assume, okay? Before he had been properly taught, after all, Apollos had accurately taught them about Jesus. He had. But he only knew the baptism of John when he met Priscilla and Aquila. He didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos what he didn't know about being a disciple of Jesus. And you always have room to grow. You always have room to learn. There are times when I'm studying something after several decades and I say, you know, I never knew that. It's okay. It doesn't mean I wasn't saved. It just means that I didn't know something and I'm growing in my faith. But not knowing about the Holy Spirit, 
it's common, especially in, in new believers, but it's a significant issue and, and you need to know about the Holy Spirit. So we take the time this morning to make it clear so that if there's anyone here who can say, well, I've been a Christian for years, but I've never really heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what the pastor's talking about. Don't worry, we'll get there, but just understand that it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean you're not saved. You just may need more information. And so we continue, and we learn that these men had only received the baptism of John. They clearly had not been baptized, as it says in verse 5, in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, that surprised me when I read that, because I would have thought in verse 5 that it would have said, on hearing this, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that. It says they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And then it says, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. So that's interesting how this whole thing went down. It's a matter of education. It's a matter of uh, information. It's not a matter of devotion or belief. It's a matter of understanding. And our understanding spiritually always needs to increase. So don't come in thinking, I know all this already, because I don't. I'm constantly learning about God and his word, and we can always grow. So that's what we learn. We learn that Apollos had probably given them some information, but they clearly had not been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, because the baptism of John wasn't a baptism into the name of the Lord Jesus. It wasn't really that. It was a baptism of repentance. It was simply saying, I repent of my sins. God saved me, which is a good thing. It really is. They were water baptized, but not in, the, not in the name of Jesus and not in the name of the Holy Spirit. And you, you know this, when we're baptized, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So yes, into the name of the Lord Jesus, but it's not just Jesus. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That had not happened yet. Clearly, they had never heard of the Holy Spirit. So it's not hard to diagnose where they're at. We can guess a little at how they got there, but what happens next is what's most important. Because only the Holy Spirit can baptize a person into the body of Christ. And whether they know it or not, a person who believes in God and repents of their sins and comes to Christ has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Even if they've never heard the name of the Holy Spirit, you can't call him Lord but by the Spirit. No one calls him Lord but by the Spirit, the Scripture tells us. So let's break this down. First of all, I like that Paul, he's such a good teacher. In verse 4, what does he say? He explains to them John's baptism, which they had already experienced. He doesn't discount it. He said, ah, you're not a Christian. He just explains to them what happened to them. He says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. By the way, repentance is a change of mind and heart. So they had repented, clearly. And he told, he says, John told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. Okay, so they had that. They had that. We know that because that was the baptism of John. But then he said, on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So that had not happened. Though John had baptized people for the repentance of their sins and prepared people's hearts to believe in the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, they had not been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what did Paul do? Very simple. He baptized these men into the name of the Lord Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and he did it through water baptism. So they, they were baptized again, because their first baptism was more of one of repentance. This was an initiation into the church with the understanding of who God is, who God the Son is, and who God the Holy Spirit is. 
Now, the early disciples, well, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit after they received Jesus. It was kind of a two-step process. Do you remember the baptism of the Holy Spirit didn't take place until the day of Pentecost in the church for Jesus' disciples, the 120 who were gathered. But they were disciples. They were believers making the case that you don't need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit to, to be a disciple or to believe in Jesus or to be saved. So if you separate those two experiences of the Holy Spirit, then you, you need to look at Scripture and understand, well, well, how does this work? Listen, it's not about how it works. It works. But as we look at this, they had already repented of their sins before God, these 12 men. They had not yet been baptized into the body of Christ. Now they were. And as I said, they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then something wonderful happens because you see there are three distinct experiences of the Holy Spirit and the Greek words bear this out. There's times in the scripture when we talk about the Holy Spirit with us. He's with us, convicting the world of sin. And the Greek word is para. It's a word that means the Holy Spirit's with you. He's not in you. And it's how you come to Christ. When the Holy Spirit is with you, he leads you to Christ. He convicts the world of sin. He brings you to a place of repentance. That had already happened in these men's lives. And then there's another Greek word. It's talked about in John's gospel in chapter 14 and also chapter 20. And it talks about the Holy Spirit came in them. Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And this isn't the experience they had on the day of Pentecost because it precedes that experience by a number of weeks. So what happened there? It says he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now that is an experience of saving faith. That is an experience where the Holy Spirit comes in you. The Greek word is like it is in Spanish, en, E-N. The Holy Spirit came in them. This was an experience of God that brings salvation. These men, these 12 men in Ephesus, I believe had already experienced that as well because they're called disciples. But they really don't understand. That's okay. There's a lot of things I don't understand either, and you too. doesn't mean we can't experience God beyond our understanding. By the way, you better experience God beyond your understanding because his ways are above our ways, his thoughts above our thoughts. You can't know all these things, but you can experience them whether you know them or not. So the next thing that happened, and this happened, and Jesus said it in in Acts chapter 1. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And some people don't like the term baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yet, what are we talking about today? There is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this happened after the Holy Spirit had been with them, after the Holy Spirit had been in them. It was something that took place on the day of Pentecost for the early disciples. And it's something that takes place now in the lives of these 12 disciples in Ephesus. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Greek word epi, E-P-I, epi. It's a different word, and it describes a different experience of God's Holy Spirit. Would it surprise you that many people don't know this? They may know it experientially. I think most people are baptized with the Holy Spirit and don't understand it. I really do. Some people may not be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I think most people are. And we looked at the evidences of the Spirit that were perhaps lacking in their lives. So what does it mean Do I need to get saved again? No, 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 no. That's not what's happening here. These men, these 12 men just needed to understand the power of God's spirit in their lives. And I'm going to say something again, might be offensive. I think there are many ministry leaders that are either not baptized in the Holy Spirit or they've forgotten what it means to be led of the spirit because they're giving themselves over to works of the flesh. And it's obvious because the works of the flesh bring about fleshly results. And it's not hard to imagine 
what a fleshly result is. Anyone who has the spirit can see it. It's pretty obvious. This looks like a dog and pony show. It's like everyone's running on the hamster wheel to, to, to empower this work of God. One of the easiest ways to see that a work or a ministry is not a work of the Holy Spirit, if I can be so bold, is they're constantly begging for money. How do I know that? Because where God guides, he provides. So if you have to constantly go out there and beg people for money to support this spirit-led ministry, then I, I question whether it's a spirit-led ministry. I really do. And it's one of the reasons why we don't. We don't talk about money. We don't pass the play. Why don't we do? Because God is the one leading this ministry. He can surely provide. And by the way, brothers and sisters, praise God, he has. And, and any of our ministry leaders who, who lead ministries here, and we have a, a, a few that, that actually have their own 501c3s and own ministry outreaches, and they, they can tell you the same thing. It's God working through his people. So the Holy Spirit came upon them. They understood that this was a separate and distinct experience of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand that as well. Now, there were times when people got saved, <laughs> and even before they could be water baptized, they were filled with the Spirit, as in the case with Peter when he went to Cornelius' house. So you can't just say, well, you have to get, you know, here's how it works. you got to repent, then you got to get baptized, then you got to get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not how it worked in Acts chapter 10. They, they were there, and Peter's preaching, and the Gentiles, they must have opened up their hearts to God. They repented in their hearts. The Holy Spirit came and didn't ask Peter's permission. Holy Spirit came down, and he said, who is going to withhold these men from being baptized? Water baptized, that is. They'd already been baptized in the Spirit. In their case, it happened, well, the, the baptism, the water baptism was just a symbol of what had already taken place, which it most often is. So you see, it's very important you understand, this is a separate and distinct work of God's Spirit. Okay, as we close this up, we know Paul placed his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's not the only way to receive the Holy Spirit. I've already shared with you that Peter didn't do that, and the first Gentiles that came to Christ and were baptized with the Spirit, no one laid hands on them. You can understand why. Jews didn't touch Gentiles. That didn't limit God. So that's not the only way. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit was experienced through Paul's hands. This probably happened immediately after they were all water baptized. He, fir he first came in them, then he came upon them. And again, this is not the only way to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I love when, when we put things in a formula, you know. Well, today we're having a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And everyone has to come up. We, we, you know, pastor has to, lay, has to be the pastor. Has to lay hands on you so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say about God giving the Holy Spirit to all that ask? It's not about the hands. It's about asking. In a few minutes, as we close our service, you're going to have an opportunity to do that exact thing. And if you've already received the Holy Spirit, and you've already been baptized and empowered, and you know that because what we've talked about today bears fruit in your life, then as those who pray to receive the Holy Spirit pray to receive it, you can just put your hand up and pray that they receive it. And don't worry, you know, some people don't like to be touched right now. We understand that. You don't have to lay hands. Can you imagine if the Holy Spirit were limited by COVID? Not going to happen. So, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And, and here's how they knew. They spoke in other languages. By the way, I am of a, a belief and a persuasion. As a charismatic, I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. I believe they're all for today. 
However, let me, let me qualify this. I believe the gift of tongues is exactly what the scripture says it is. The ability to speak in another language that you haven't learned. How I wish when I was studying Spanish that God had given me that gift. Could have saved myself a couple of years, almost a decade. So if God wants to anoint you and empower you to speak a language you've never learned or never spoken, he can do that. And we can see how in the early church that might have been important. I do not believe that speaking gibberish is speaking in tongues. Some people do. I do not. All right? So let's just be clear about that. Also prophesying. That's speaking the word of God. They receive the gift of tongues and prophecy. Now, tongues isn't used to speak to men, by the way. It's used to speak to God. And prophecy is used to speak to men, but never used to speak to God. Why would you prophesy to God? Sometimes, well, I have a prophecy, and then they're speaking to God. No, no, that's a prayer. Let's get our terms right. But in either case, all of the gifts of the Spirit can be used by God sovereignly as He wills, and He divides them according to His own will. The Scripture teaches that. There are only about 12 men that didn't know about this. And I know that Apollos baptized in the name of Lord Jesus and taught the Holy Spirit after he had been properly taught, but perhaps these guys missed the memo. They didn't get it. So have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and and close us in just a second. It is... And it was and still is possible to be saved and not baptized or filled, if you like that word, that might make you happy, filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. All of these words are used. Same thing. And by the way, I just want to point out that after Acts 2, there was Acts 4, where these same apostles and disciples were filled again with the Holy Spirit. Nothing wrong with that either. I think it was D.L. Moody who said, when he, in speaking of being filled with the Spirit, that he was filled with the Spirit, but he said, but I leak. It's okay to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's not a weird thing. We don't expect a Blues Brothers experience with, you know, guys in suits doing cartwheels up the aisle. That, 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 that's not what this is about. We've already talked about what this is. So I asked the question, is there a lack of powerful change in your life? Are you struggling to change? I think a lot of people who go into recovery have success because they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And many Christians continue to struggle because they're not. That's just a thought. That's true of any struggle that you might have. Is there a lack of spiritual understanding in your heart? You know, you hear the word, but you don't really get it. You go home with more questions than answers. That would be a problem. Is there a lack of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Are you not loving? Are you a very unloving person? People, they know you. You're like Ebenezer Scrooge before the ghosts visited him. And then how about this? Is there a lack of spiritual gifts in your life? You're asking God, I don't know, why am I here? What have you anointed me to do? What am I called to do? Spiritual gifts. You start to realize, well, how how can I do this? How am I empowered to do this? You realize it's the Holy Spirit in your life. Another thing I might add, is there a lack of direction? Because we know that the Spirit leads us. And if, if you don't really have any direction in your life, it could be, it might not be, but it could be that you need either to be baptized with the Holy Spirit for the very first time, or perhaps you need to be filled with the Spirit over and over again. I think that puts all of us in this, in this category, right? That's pretty much everyone. Let's pray. Let's pray. And we'll ask that question that Paul asked these 12 believers. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are only exercised in the life of a believer that's baptized by him. 
We'll ask the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you have. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, your word tells us that you will not hold back the Holy Spirit. You will give the Holy Spirit to all those that ask. If a father knows how to give good gifts to his children, our Heavenly Father knows how to give greater gifts. Lord God, we come to you and we all ask, in this new year, what a wonderful time to assess this in our lives. Going into this new year, for those of us who've been struggling with reoccurring sin, Lord, fill us with your spirit. For those of us who've been struggling with a bad attitude, cranky and unloving, fill us with your spirit. For those of us who really just are struggling to understand your will for our lives, your word and what it teaches, fill us with your spirit. For those of us who are looking to be used by you in a mighty way, whether it be missions or ministry or children's ministry or anything in the way of outreach, Lord, fill us with your spirit and gift us and enable us to do the things you've called us to do. Show us what our gifts are and then give us the opportunity in this church and even in the world to use the gifts you've given us for your glory. Fill us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.